This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 276, recorded on Monday, August the 15th, 2016. It's getting down to the wire, my friend. What do you mean? Well, my wife is about to, uh, well, our, her due date is on Thursday, so it is down to the birth and wire. That is four days from as we speak. Yes, it from is. right now. So you're going to have a baby on Thursday. Well, probably not, but that's the ideal. Basically, you could have a baby at any time. Any second now. Any that's second. Right. So yeah. if this podcast have, ends early... I don't think that's going to happen because even no. if she goes into labor, like, look, we'll finish the podcast and then we'll go to the hospital. Well, the way I figure it is we're going to, you know, if it happens tonight, it'll be finish the podcast, then go to Tim Hortons, then go to the hospital. But if it's any <laughs> other time, it's, you know, I'm hoping that she'll let me stop at the drive through on the way to the hospital. <laughs> well, yeah. Because need- once I get there, if I say to the staff, I'll be right back, I'm going downstairs to the Tim Hortons, they're going to look at me like I punched their dog. What? So You never know. Labor can take a long time, my friend. Well, yeah, I know, but I'll be, I, once you're in the room, I figure I'm, you know, I'm in the room, I'm present, I'll be there. Yeah. So I got to stop for coffee on the way. You get a big, uh, uh, an extra, extra large. Yeah. <laughs> I have you, a thermos. You, It'd be fine. There you go. You, you <laughs> might be up all night. Yeah. And the next yeah. day and the next yeah. night. Yeah. And then for the next 14 years. That's right. And you're not as young as you used to be. So you need to get your sleep when you can. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just saying. All right. So Jason's going to have a baby any time now, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm every, any, any time I don't hear from him for a while, I'm like, oh, I must be having a baby. And then so far not. Yeah. But I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, is Jenny like ready to go? Is she just at that point where she's like, just, I want to get this baby out of me? No, not quite yet. It's cause she's it's her right first. on the cusp. It's cause yeah. it's her first. Yes. It's her first. <laughs> she's right on the cusp there. I think, uh, she likes being pregnant, but she's looking forward to having a baby at the, at the end of it. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's, I'm glad to hear that. That's what you want to look forward to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that's exciting. The other thing that's happening is fear comes back on Sunday. Oh, that's right. So you're having a baby and then the show immediately comes back. Mm -hmm. You could be having a baby while the show comes back. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to watch it, but I'll figure (laughs) it out. (laughs) Can you have a baby and podcast at the same time? I don't think that's possible. No, I don't. I'd have to bring a setup and apparently the Wi-Fi there is pretty bad. (laughs) But as long as you're at home, we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. So we're taking auditions for fill-in guest hosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we will see what happens. I don't know. Fear comes back on Sunday. Jason's baby is going to be born maybe before then. And uh, we're looking forward to both. Yes. Yes, we are. All right, Jason, we got a, a bunch of stuff to do on this podcast. We're actually going to review two movies. One of them is zombie related and the other one is not, but it's something we talked about once before, and uh, I thought it was only fair that we give it a proper review now that we've both seen it, uh, because before we were just sort of assuming that it was terrible. <laughs> okay. And, and we'll we'll find out if it was when we do the review. That movie is Hardcore Henry. We're going to talk right. about that. Yeah. We're also going to talk about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which you just finished finished watching. Yeah, like five minutes ago there you go so i'm sure your thoughts on that are well formed and uh you know will be easily digestible mm-hmm. um and we've got a list, little bit of listener feedback but first because this is 
a Walking Dead podcast. We can't do the whole thing without talking about The Walking Dead a little bit. We're going to do some news. Good. So you ready to get started? I am so ready. Very good. The Walking Dead News. All right, our first item in the news is something that came out actually a little while ago, maybe a couple of months ago already at this point. But uh, Dan from Columbus, Ohio, wrote in and reminded me of this. I thought it was something we should at least address. Um, And also Dan sent another email a couple months back about starting his own podcast. And I realized when I read his other message about this news item that I never responded to him on that. So, uh, Dan, I apologize. And uh, I hope uh, hope you started that cast, but let us know how it's going. Yeah. So uh, anyways, the news is that Lori Holden originally had an eight-year contract on the show. Eight years. That's a lot. It's a lot of years. And now I guess they had no idea whether it was going to go that long or not, but she had eight years. So this news broke back at Walker Stalker Con, I think in New Jersey. She was on a panel and this is uh, what she had to say. She said, well, I had an eight year deal. I was supposed to be there until the end. I was supposed to end up with Rick. I was supposed to save Woodbury on a horse and I was buying a house in Atlanta. I got the call at 10 o'clock the night before while I was shooting from the showrunner who is no longer a part of The Walking Dead saying that they couldn't write the episode and that he was killing my character. So when we all got the script, everybody on the set was sobbing. I felt like I got shot. None of it was supposed to happen the way it did. Interesting. And then she follows up to another question saying, uh, I think The Walking Dead is in, is in a really good place now with Scott Gimple. It wasn't the ship that it is now. Uh, I'm very grateful how it was written and that I went out with Grace and a stellar cast. It wasn't the way I wanted, but I love the way I went out. So, uh, well, who was the showrunner at the time? Do you have that information at the tip of your uh, tongue? Yeah, it was Glenn Mazzara. Okay, so it was Glenn Mazzara. And so the quote I wanted to zero in on here is, we couldn't write the episode and we're killing your character? Well... What does that mean? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I mean, eight years is a lot of is a lot of TV. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what she's referring to there. I mean, she says I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to end up with Rick. I was supposed to save Woodbury on a horse. You know, is that the stuff that they didn't want to do, or or is it just something else? I don't know. Yeah, but well, that's the thing. Is uh, I really maybe they just needed a, somebody to die. They needed they needed something uh, to grab people's attention mm-hmm. that was different than the comic. Yeah, and it makes me wonder. I mean, what the sort of contract is like for all the sort of original cast. Uh, you know, um, Andy Lincoln and and I guess Norman Reedus and guys like that. Did, did they all sign eight year contracts? Maybe. And and Maybe I mean, I, did. I know that probably doesn't mean much really because, you know, they sign these, these actors to eight years in case they have a hit on their hands and then they do one season and it gets canceled and that's that. But Or clearly, they do four seasons and it gets really, really popular and then the cast all gets together and goes, fuck you, you've, you've got to pay us more money <laughs> like they did on Friends. Right. But if they have eight year deals, they can't do that until year eight. Oh, they had that. They did? I think uh, the Friends, the maybe their contract was up. Maybe they were renegotiating. I don't know the exact... Well, specifications, but isn't, uh, isn't that how contracts work? You you sign a deal, and oh, you, you are, can re- renegotiate at any time. They can say screw you, and we can say, well, we quit, and you'll we'll pay you money, but you're going to lose your show, and everybody's right. 
you know, so there's always a bargaining position, uh, regardless of whether you have a, a have a contract. I you see. might be in a shitty bargaining position, but if you're all, you have all six cast members banding together on a show like Friends, and they go, "We want more money, or we're walking," mm-hmm. at the peak of our careers, uh, they might go, "Yeah, we could probably give you some more money." And on one of the most popular shows on TV, yeah, which is the case for Walking Dead, as we all know. So I guess. I guess the cast could get together at any time and do that. Now, Friends is six people, and that's it. Walking Dead is a lot more. Yeah, so Walking Dead probably could accommodate, uh, you know, if a bunch of people got together and said, uh, you know, we're renegotiating our contract, it's like, well, we'll shift focus to somebody else then. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll just we'll just make this the Jesus show and move on from there, and everybody be like, yeah, that's cool. That's a great idea. I love it. Let's we'll, do that. We'll finally bring Maggie back into the fold. Yeah, Jesus and Tara. That's it. <laughs> it's the Jesus and Tara show. I love it. And throw Heath in there too. Come on. Yeah, what the hell? Why not? Well, he's moved on to another show though, right? He's going to 24, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. So no, he's out. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I'm glad that Lori Holden is kind of cool with the way things ended up. At least that's, that's what she says. Um, but I guess that's what happens sometimes when showrunners change, you know, the, the vision for the show changes. And so even though she was supposed to be there for the long haul, she got, she got killed off. Well, hopefully she, uh, got a good chunk of change for, uh, them changing their contract on her, changing the contract on her. Just like, uh, the quote said, she was, uh, she was buying a house in Atlanta. You know what though? I, well, who knows what, how these contracts are written, but don't you think in the potentially unstable sort of TV environment. They write contracts to say that your this con, you, your character can be removed from the show at any time. The show might get canceled, things like that. There are stipulations for that kind of thing, I would think. Yeah, that's well, seems a little one-sided. If you're, yeah. you have an eight-year contract and all of a sudden they want to kill you off on a successful show after year three, then uh, you know, you're probably going to get some money. Yeah, you probably get something. The other thing is, I think this is why Jeffrey DeMunn asked to be off the show too. Him and Laurie Holden are good buddies. And when she was removed, I'm pretty sure he went to the producers and said, I'm not so keen on this anymore. So do something with my character. Yeah. So, you know, ramifications to this whole thing is that we lost uh, Jeffrey DeMunn as well. Um, and And the other thing I thought of just thinking about this whole thing is that it speaks to the sort of instability of having a show change showrunners so frequently you know if you need i think in most cases to tell a good long-term story you need sort of the regular stability of having someone with the vision and we had three showrunners in four seasons now we've had the same guy for a few years now and i guess we complain about the show just in other ways <laughs> but i'm not <laughs> saying nice. i'm not saying it's bad but you know i you i don't think you would want you know, a new showrunner every year. You just start over every time. Yeah. So, um, all right. So next is that Kirkman, Robert Kirkman, you know him. Bobby Kirkman. Yeah. 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 Bobby Kirkman. He was, uh, let's call him that from now on. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was talking to entertainment weekly and this goes back to, uh, the season seven or season six cliffhanger. Yeah. And I'm going to read the lies. Uh, well, <laughs> let me let me listen to this, and you tell me if if they're. I've lies. already decided they're lies. I've already I've already come to that conclusion. The, I'm sorry. It is Bobby Kirkman, and he's a pathological liar. So <laughs> he he lies to the media. All right. Well, here's what Entertainment Weekly said to him. So, what was your reaction to the negative reaction many fans had to the cliffhanger? 
used the word reaction one too many times there. Yeah, I, I heard that. Okay, so Robert Kirkman writes or says, look, I think as a creative person, I have to acknowledge that all responses are valid. So I definitely have to take note that there's a seemingly significant portion of the audience that wasn't happy with that direction. So in that respect, I think everyone on the Walking Dead creative team has taken note of it. And I don't know that I would expect a similar cliffhanger at the end of season seven. At the same time, I know it's just a small portion of the audience, and a lot of people actually like the mystery and are enjoying the guessing game that they're playing over the summer. So I don't know. But you get but you get to season six on a show and you try new things, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. But I would hope that after enjoying six seasons of the show, people would recognize that everything that Scott Gimple is putting together is an effort to keep the show exciting and engaging and keeping everybody excited about it. Okay, so he's a little all over the place, right? Because at first he says a seemingly significant portion of the audience that wasn't happy with that direction. And then he immediately says, I know it's just a small portion of the audience. And a lot of people actually like the mystery. Yes, small but significant, let's say. I guess so, yeah. (laughs) Vocal? I I think that uh, that's probably the best thing that's ever come out of his mouth. Yeah. It seems like it's very well crafted and is acknowledging what the what he's hearing from the from the audience, whether they're uh, significant or a small portion or whatever. They're taking note, and he's right. You know, they they have a good creative team and a strong showrunner, and they're trying different things. And this thing didn't work. Mm-hmm. They, they note that, and they'll move on from there. And it probably won't do this kind of bullshit again. Well, and that's the most important thing I take away from this because we've I think we've talked about his quotes before saying, look, obviously people didn't like that. And I have to respect that as their opinion and, and adjust my own sort of feelings on things. But he said, I would, I would expect, or I don't know that I would expect a similar cliffhanger at the end of season seven. He's saying, we're not going to do that again. Yeah. They've learned from that particular feedback from a small, but vocal audience, mm-hmm. uh, portion of the audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's uh, it's a really nice, and he, and he did it in a very graceful way. He acknowledged what was happening and said, uh, you know, look, we try things. We have a good, strong team here. We're trying different things. We can't do this, can't just do everything that Happy Days did because people are going to be bored by that. And then eventually we'll end up jumping the shark, uh-huh. literally and figuratively. Uh-huh. So they just, they have to take their lumps and move on. We did what we did. We thought it was a good idea. We got feedback from the audience and we probably won't do that again. Yeah, that's good. I like it. He was also asked in the same article about being in a no-win situation with the Negan stuff. Um, if they if they kill the same character from the comic, it's predictable. But if they kill a different one, it's a cop-out is basically what Entertainment Weekly asked him. And he said, well, that's what we're up against. I mean, we have to look at those kind of options. And to be honest, that's kind of where you throw it all out the window and you just do what you think is the coolest and best for the story. Gauging fan reaction while you're writing a story is a progress killer and an enthusiasm killer because you can never anticipate. I mean, we could have never anticipated the uproar that happened on the Internet over the cliffhanger. We're always just sitting down and trying to tell the best stories and do the best job of adapting my material from the comic. But I don't know if I agree with that. I I just, I can't believe that nobody in that room put up their hand and said, guys, the cliffhanger is a terrible idea. People are not, you can't build up to something and not deliver. 
I just I just can't believe that nobody did that unless this is the kind of writer's room where there's one guy in charge and no one else has a voice. They're just putting pen to paper. Yeah, but, it, you know, there's all kinds of things that make it to the mass production and the mass media that are that have gone through many committees and feedback groups that you just can't believe that a whole bunch of people decided that this was a good idea. I suppose that's true. It's like proofing a creative design. It goes through 45 different sets of eyes and no one notices that public is spelled pubic, right? Yeah. Or, you know, the the logo they designed is a very subtle swastika. You know, it's just like, okay, how many people looked at this? <laughs> and nobody said, hey, that looks like a swastika? Yeah. Well, you're right. I guess these things can happen. But yeah. the way I feel about this is they they built up to this and 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 they even promoted it. Like they promote how much of a badass Negan is and what he's going to do. And he's going to he's going to kill somebody. And maybe some of the audience has too much knowledge from the comics, but they're guilty of building up to it and then pulling the rug out and not delivering. So I still do find it kind of hard to believe that no one could see this coming. But you're right. Crazier things have happened. And he's also right. You can't in that you can't write your show, you know, anticipating what the audience will like and not like. Because if you are, you know, second guessing yourself about what the audience wants Mm -hmm. uh, all the time, then you're going to you're going to write yourself into a corner every time. Yes, you can't you can't write the show anticipating what they want. You can do what he said in the previous quote about maybe reacting or or adjusting based on their past reactions. Yeah. That makes more sense, I guess. Yeah. And the last thing I want is uh, the show written by a committee based on a popular opinion. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're we right. We don't want that. We don't want that. All right. So it's exciting to hear that we won't get a cliffhanger or at least a similar cliffhanger if we take the words verbatim at the end of season seven. Maybe we'll get a dissimilar cliffhanger. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll just, uh, in, I don't know what they'll do. Mid-speech, they'll just stop the show. <laughs> just like roll credits. It's like, well, take that, you stupid audience. <laughs> Not Maybe. even to give you the whole speech. Maybe season seven is the last season of the show, and they're going to wrap it all up. Just for spite, you mean? Uh, well, I hope not, because that's not a good reason to finish a show, but maybe they already know that they're not getting renewed for season eight and that hasn't been announced yet. So there won't be a cliffhanger at the end of season seven because it's the end people. Well, it's seven season in a season, seasons in a movie, right? I, so I don't know. After, I hope so. They'll finish it after seven seasons and then do start, start into movies. Yeah. You know, I posted a thing on our Facebook page a couple of weeks ago, um, about how, Someone had the idea, and I, I don't, I forget now if this came from any official, um, you know, Walking Dead mouth hole. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but there was an idea floated that maybe the show and the comic would end at the same time. So, yeah. TV show ends whenever it ends at the end of season seven or eight or nine, comic goes for the same number of years, they end at roughly the same point, and then. The Walking Dead story is over and we don't have the comic continuing beyond the TV show or vice versa. Although I wouldn't see that happening where the show goes longer than the comic. But I, I kind of thought that was a, a good idea and both at the same time, wrap them up in whatever ending Robert Kirkman has, uh, has planned and, um, and that, and, and stop there. That's a really good idea. I like it. I like it too. Yeah. 
it could be it could be good. Let's for, write them a letter and hopefully they'll listen to popular popular opinion and do what we want. Yeah, if that's their new mo, then we got to float these ideas to them. So yeah. Okay, one more item in the news here, and it's potentially a little bit spoilery for season seven because it talks about some filming locations. Don't really have any details on what they're filming, but uh, the location itself might be unexpected. So if you're if you're really sensitive to spoilers for season seven, you might want to jump ahead. Is it the Kremlin? Are they filming in the Kremlin? Yes, they are filming in the Kremlin. It's <laughs> a bit of a spoiler, right? Eh? <laughs> yeah, that would be really strange. Um, anyways, this is a so the so a filming a letter went out to the Georgia Department of Natural Resources from the Walking Dead's production company about them wanting to film on the coastal regions of the state, specifically on uh, Driftwood Beach, which is on an island just off the coast of, of Georgia. If I could remember the name of the island, that would be really great. Jekyll Island is what Jekyll. it's called. Jekyll. And, and then in sort of marsh area north of that beach area. So I just found that interesting. I mean, The Walking Dead is going to the ocean or going to a beach uh, or something like that. So presumably they are, they're going to find a beach somewhere in um, Alexandria or in the area, and they're cool. going to be doing something there. But the reason I wanted to talk about this briefly is just that I read this whole letter, and there's some there's some information in here that I just found I just found fascinating and the kind of information they have to include when they're applying to, you know, the state of Georgia's Department of Natural Resources to get, I guess, the permits to film in these places. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'll just read a little bit of this. It says things like filming at the first location will occur on a soft and hard sand beach located at approximately, and they give latitude and longitude coordinates, which I thought was cool, cool. and will consist of approximately four cast members and 50 crew members. So they give information about like how many people they're going to need. Um, it says a detailed location and film uh, staging location can be found in the attached map. Uh, access to the beach with equipment and crew will be via the existing Driftwood Beach Access Trail. Um, and then there's a list of the equipment, things like one 50-foot techno crane with diesel-powered base and all-terrain wheels. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Techno crane. Exactly. And then five ATVs with four-foot by eight-foot trailers to move film equipment. Uh, one 1,400-kilowatt generator for lighting and set support. Uh, four glow bugs with red bulbs for pre-dawn lighting during prep and wrap. Uh, three cameras with video assist and lighting equipment. Six 10-foot by 100-foot pop-up tents for crew support. And 50 to 150 feet of track mat or three-quarter inch untreated plywood. Nice. So I just I just found it, it interesting about, you know, how they have to list all this stuff. And all the stuff that goes into setting up to film. And and all the time spent doing all that just so they can get there and shoot for like 12 hours one day or something like that. Yeah. So uh, there are people that that's probably their whole job is to take a production and uh, work with the director on filming locations and what they want to do, what they want to shoot, and then coming up with the equipment list that will be needed, as well as craft services and proper toilets and yeah. uh, towels for people's hair in case it rains and yep. all that kind of good stuff. Makeup and 
uh, all that kind of crap. It's it's really fascinating. And they go on to say that, you know, the camera view will encompass 360 degrees and extend along the beach approximately 300 feet north and 300 feet south of the working area. Um, let's see, matting will be placed beneath the techno crane while stationary on the beach and will remain under the crane until driven off the beach. So, you know, the whole idea is they don't want to disturb the beach or disturb the wildlife in the area. There's yep. information about not um, disturbing some turtle nesting locations. You know, they don't want to screw up the turtle babies and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's just, I don't know, I found it kind of fascinating. And this whole thing is available online for your reading pleasure if you want to do so. That's cool. It's pretty neat. I yeah. agree with you that it's pretty neat to, to hear about that kind of thing. It is. It, it's, it gives you a deeper look in behind the scenes of, of creating a TV show that films on location like this. When you, when you have a set, everything happens on the set and they don't have to worry about stuff like this, right? So. Well, yes. I mean, they still have to provide equipment and there's still the scheduling of such equipment for amongst different, uh, you know, they probably have more than one. Uh, television show or movie working at any given time and you don't want three different people fighting over one particular uh, light stand. Mm -hmm. like, well, no, I need that light stand. No, I need that light stand. It's like, well, I'm working <laughs> with Steven Spielberg over here. He needs that light stand and Spielberg gets his light stands. You better fucking believe it. <laughs> when, Spiel when Spielberg needs a light stand, Spielberg gets a light stand. That's right. So there's a pecking order for light stands and Spielberg's at the top. Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. Uh, so I think they're doing this right now, um, this filming. So this is likely for the second half of season seven or close to the end of the first half of season seven. It says it's going to happen between August 19th and September 22nd. So it could be happening now. Oh no, not quite. It's not August 19th yet. Not quite yet. <laughs> but almost very, very soon. And it says they're going to start preparation and equipment staging at 4 a.m. Filming will begin at first light between 6.30 and 7. They're going to start staging at 4 and they're going to be filming at 6? 6? 6.30. That's crazy. Well. They can't do that. Hey, they know what they're doing, man. These are experts. That seems a little short, two and a half hours from starting staging till filming. Holy shit. Well, it, and, and the amazing part, it also says they're going to build a tidal pool on the beach with a vinyl liner for water retention. So it's not just a beach, it's a pool, a tidal pool on the beach. So they got to do that pretty quick. Well, they probably do that beforehand. That probably takes a little bit more than two and a half hours. It took me two and a half hours to get ready for this friggin' podcast. And it's just me. Well, you know, you had to watch a lot of movies. I had to watch the movies. You know, you know, frankly, the microphone was already plugged in, but still it took me a long time. <laughs> Did you have to bring in your techno crane to get ready? Uh, yeah, I have the, uh, maybe you can hear it. Hold on. Oh, that did you is, hear that? I sure, I sure did. Who knows? That's my techno crane. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, anyways, that's uh, that's what they're doing. They're filming on the on the beach, so we could get some beach scenes. And in fact, in the trailer, wasn't there a beach scene in the Terra and Heath part at the end? There was some sand in there. So, but but that being said, this hasn't been shot yet, so that can't can't be the same thing. But well, I don't know. To be fair, sand gets everywhere. It does in every nook and cranny. Yeah, so it just you, know, you you could be on a sand beach uh, one day and there's still sand the next day. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a week later. <laughs> yeah, you're finding you're picking sand out of places that you don't want to pick sand out of. All right, that is it for the Walking Dead news. 
Thank you for tuning into that. Next up is our first movie review of the evening. And the first one we're going to talk about is Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Yay! So this, of course, was a mashup book that was released six or seven years ago now, I think 2009. And it is Pride and Prejudice with zombies injected into it. And then they made a movie. And yes, they did. And I've never read the book, although I own it. But I have seen the movie. Pride and Prejudice. Uh, no, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So have you seen the uh, you know, the television series or the, the miniseries with well, uh, Colin Firth? No. no. I, w- the first note I made here is that I have to fess up that Pride and Prejudice I do not have a history with. I don't know it very well. I've never seen a previous adaptation. I've never seen a TV show. I've never read the original book. Um, I it is it is a blind spot in my literal literature slash like pop culture experience or movie okay. experience. So I'm right there with you. I've never seen any other adaptation. I've never read the book. I never read uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. This, I am also coming at this, but uh, it's not so much uh, a blind spot as a spot that I did not look before on purpose. I've never really had an interest. My wife owns the miniseries Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, uh, and she wants to watch it again because I was talking about this movie and uh but I've never seen it. Did she watch the movie with you? No. No. No, she didn't. Okay, so we sat down a few nights ago to watch it together. And the first thing Christina said to me is you you've never seen Pride and Prejudice. Do you want me to give you a a, a rundown on the story? And I said nope because this movie hopefully needs to stand on its own and I shouldn't need to have a knowledge of previous work to enjoy and understand this movie. I asked my wife the same thing. I said, you know, Pride and Prejudice. She said, yeah, I've read the book and watched the miniseries and such. And I said, what's it about? And she said, grumpy dude falls in love, but doesn't tell her. <laughs> I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> it, well, and all right. So, so then let's get, let's go with you first. What did you think of this? And did that description of the original Pride and Prejudice add or detract in any way? to your feelings on this movie. I actually liked this movie. I was not expecting to have any positive thoughts or statements about this movie, but I kind of liked it, oddly enough. <laughs> because uh, I like period pieces. Uh-huh. Uh, I was surprised to hear that Pride and Prejudice was a miniseries and that I had not seen it and that we owned it. All of those things surprised me. Okay. <laughs> so I think I probably will end up watching this with my wife over the next however long, whether there's a baby involved watching it or just uh, in utero watching it. I don't know, but I think we're going to end up watching this uh, pretty soon. But overall, I I like period pieces. I kind of like this kind of story because mm-hmm. uh, I like kind of British uh weird dramas, like old British dramas that, uh, you know, does he like me? Yes, he kind of likes you, but why doesn't he tell me? But <laughs> because he's too proud to tell you and he's a bit of a, uh, you know, he's, you know, it's, it's the same thing as there's so many movies and television shows that are like this. Bridget Jones Diaries is pretty much this story. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're a fan of that. I liked that movie. I watched, I, I can actually say that I was a single man rented that movie by myself, watched it, and liked it. That's a lot. As a bachelor. That is a, that is a lot to admit. Yes. <laughs> uh, so 
this movie, let's bring this back around to this movie. So I, it was kind of interesting to have that uh, period piece movie, and I could tell, you could tell what parts were the period piece movie and what parts had the, the zombies interjected. It was plainly obvious to me what was part of the original text and what was part of the zombie text, because anytime they mentioned the word zombie, you knew that it wasn't part of the original text. <laughs> yeah, I think when zombies are on screen, that's a pretty good giveaway. Well, not necessarily. Because okay. there was a, there was one scene where um, I forget all the characters' names, but Grumpy Dude uh, goes to the goes to the woman, the main female protagonist, and says, uh, "You know, look, uh, put me out of my misery, marry me." She's like, "Well, what are you friggin' kidding me? You're a jerk. You were a jerk to my sister. You've been a jerk every time I've ever talked to you. I'm not gonna friggin' marry you." Uh-huh. And then they get into a fight. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Which ended in parts of their clothes coming off, but that's neither here nor there. But they get into a fight. I think the verbal fight existed in the original text, but it kind of morphed into a physical fight in this particular adaptation, and I kind of like that. Yeah. So I think the, the tone of the, uh, not necessarily tone, but the content of that particular scene was, uh, in the original text, was kind of, uh, was mirrored accurately in this particular movie just added it just amped it up into instead of just being a verbal uh bunch of people pouting and talking to each other and getting frustrated and angry mm-hmm. it morphed into uh you know swinging blades and a uh, fire poker right so you're talking about colonel darcy played by sam riley yeah and elizabeth bennett played by lily james really the two main characters that's right yeah well okay when it comes to that scene i kind of agree with you i did enjoy that scene it was Pretty well staged, even though when, you know, they popped the buttons off the shirts and stuff like that, I couldn't help but think to myself, really, they're, they're going to do this. And, and I'm glad they had some restraint with it because it's not like, you know, they ended up naked on top of each other kind of thing. It was just each of them lost a little bit of clothes and it was played for humor and it was OK. I, I enjoyed that scene. I didn't really enjoy much of the rest of this movie, though. There was parts of it that was annoying, like anything with uh, uh, what's her name with the eye patch. Oh yeah, have to help me Lena Headey from Lena Hetty Game of was, Thrones was horrible. Like it, she was horrible. The the her entire character was horrible. The acting she did was horrible. It was completely. I don't know what the original text was, but uh, it was completely unnecessarily to this movie. There were two Game of Thrones actors in this: Lena Headey and Charles Dance, who oh, played yeah, right. yeah. Tywin her- Lannister. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought both of them were kind of meh. Like, as you said, she wasn't very good and I didn't think he was, he didn't have that much of a part, but. Uh, he was the family patriarch. He has five daughters that he's got to get rid of and marry off and he doesn't have a lot of money to. No, to... I, he doesn't want to marry them off though. He wants them to be warriors, right? He's trained them to be zombie warriors. The mother wants them to marry off. Sorry. I, I was thinking in the original text. Somehow I think that I, I read the description of Pride and Prejudice that somewhere along the way ah. it said that he's got five daughters that, and his dowry isn't. Oh, it was the description we were looking at the Pride and Prejudice miniseries and going through the various descriptions. Right. And one of them was that he had five daughters that in his dowries weren't very high. So he was having a hard time getting rid of his daughters. <laughs> we got to get rid of you guys somehow. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I, I found the movie sort of boring, to be honest. I didn't think it was great. And I didn't know if, is that because I'm not familiar with the story? And going back to my sort of original comment, the movie needs to stand on its own. So I don't really get, make that as an excuse that I'm not familiar with Pride and Prejudice very much, so I didn't like this. But 
but I wonder, like, I didn't find it funny and you'd think there'd be some, at least comedy in this. They play some stuff for laughs. I mean, this is a friggin' pride and prejudice with zombies. There's gotta be something in there. I didn't find it scary. I didn't really find it gory because it was PG 13 movie. So yeah, it was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. All of the sort of zombie killing was really neutered. Like you, it, it was one of those things where often the camera cuts away as it sort of, as they, they stab a zombie or something like that. Yeah. Or she, you know, stomps on a zombie's head, but they show it from the waist up. Right. Or way far back. So you don't, can't really tell what's going on. And I'm not saying I need like extreme gore or anything, but you know, if you're going to do this, make this an R rated movie. And I think it might've been at least in that respect, a little more compelling. No. No, they can't. They can't do that. If they made this an R-rated movie, they would lose all their money because nobody wants to see that shit except for fourteen-year-old girls. Well, no, do fourteen. Well, that's another question. Who's this movie for? I mean, fourteen-year-old 14, girls for, with zombies. Oh yeah, I don't know. I mean, fourteen Get together with their friends is like Pride and Prejudice. Uh, their moms would be like, "Hey, that sounds like a really good idea because I read Pride and Prejudice when I was a little girl and I thought it was great, and you should go see this." I don't know, like, man. I, I, yeah, I'm I'm totally thinking this is aimed at 14-year-old girls. <laughs> I, I don't know who the movie is for. Like, it, I think it's for – I think they're trying to appeal to, to zombie fans. And, be, and, and it, they're sort of borrowing a story and making a, making a zombie movie out of it. But they end up making a PG-13 movie. So – but it doesn't matter. I think – I don't think the movie found an audience anyways. According to IMDb, the budget was $28 million and it made – 10 million. So that's a massive flop. Oh yeah. Massive. Um, but you know, anyways, I just thought like the zombie stuff wasn't good. There wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't super into the story or anything, although it was fine. Um, and I just, I just didn't really, it just really didn't do it for me. There was nothing in here for me to grab onto and, and really like, except for one thing character played by Matt Smith, the guy who played the doctor for a little while. That guy was great. He was great. Yeah. He felt to me like he was the only actor in this movie that was, that was having any fun making it. And like, how can you not have fun making a zombie movie? Well, I don't know, but he seemed like he was having a great time. And I thought, I actually thought he was pretty funny and, and did a really good job. So I'm going to defend the zombies a little bit. <laughs> okay. I think it was an interesting take on zombies. It wasn't the, uh, it was, you know, the infected variant of the mm -hmm. zombies, right? So where you became a zombie, but not really until you first tasted human brains. Correct. And then once you ate human brains, it would get worse and worse and worse until you became this uh, uh, completely undead creature. Yep. Uh, so it was interesting because, first of all, it brought zombies back to brains. Mm -hmm. which they haven't been for a long time. No, the zombies just eat anything at this point. Yeah, so bringing zombies back to brains, eating and desiring brains was okay for me. And the fact that uh, they, you know, there's two variants of zombies. Uh, there's the, well, it's commonly known as the, the infected and the undead, right? Uh, but basically for me, it, uh, it kind of, it boils down to uh, the, Dungeons and Dragons versions of the undead. Mm -hmm. Zombies are, there's two kinds of undead. There's undead that retain their souls, which are like the liches and the vampires and uh, that kind of thing. And then there's the undead that no longer have their souls. The uh, Your basic walking dead, your zombies, and your skeletons, your animated skeletons. Kind of right. Thing. So 
these zombies started off by, you know, retaining their souls. And there was this whole, you know, zombie subculture. They went at one point, went to a church where all these were all these undead, but they were eating pig brains and not human brains. And therefore they weren't fully infected. They weren't, you know, completely realized zombies. They were kind of in this sub human um, sort of undead kind of class. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, that's the other thing is that there was this degree of zombieism, which we don't see. No, you're either, you're dead or you're, you're undead or you're alive. Yeah. And I like the idea. I like the idea of that. It's, it's great to see a different take on things. That's one of the reasons I really like things like, um, that French TV show, uh, right. They came back, right. Or whatever it was called. Um, but I, but I don't think they, they executed it very well here. If the movie was, if this movie was almost about that a little bit more, or they showed that to us a little bit more, I think it would have been good. But instead they just kind of told us that's how it worked. And then we saw, you know, every time a zombie popped up for the most part, I thought it was a zombie that was sort of trying to kill somebody. Well, yeah, but that you know, that's part of the d- degrees. There's the zombies that want to go to church. Then mm-hmm. there's zombies that just want to eat brains. Yeah. Right? And it, then there's the and then the other aspect that I liked about this, which was uh, kind of D and D ish, and also Game of Thrones undead ish, is that there are there is a controlling factor to the zombies. They're not just the horde of the Walking Dead; mm-hmm. they are an army for this whoever is controlling it. In this case, it's the four horsemen of the zombie apocalypse. Right, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> uh, that, but it's the four horsemen of the apocalypse come to. Uh, you know, start the end of the world, the end of days kind of thing. Yep. Uh, so in uh, in Game of Thrones, we have the, uh, I forget what they're called, but they the, have, there's all the, the white undead walkers? have, the white walkers, yeah. that's right. They have uh, this controlling factor, whereas we also had that here. And you have that in, D, in D&D. A lich will control a horde of zombies and they do the, the, the lich's uh, will. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a goal. The zombies will try and achieve that goal for them. So, this all rolled in together. Uh, it made the zombies interesting to me. Yeah, but see, I feel like this was, there's a trilogy here, okay? And I see this as, during the opening credits of this movie, we get a voiceover that explains the entire zombie outbreak and how the world fell, or at least what happened to London and how they built a big wall and I think a moat around it. Yeah. And and how all that happened and how any uh, people ended up inside and outside and so on. And like that whole story kind of sounds interesting to me. And then the apocalypse story where the the four horsemen of the zombie apocalypse come, that whole thing sounds interesting. Like once they arrive, which they, I guess, spoilers do at the end of the movie, more or less. Well, that's because they're going to make a sequel. Well, if they had made money, they probably would have made a sequel. Right. So, but here we are right in between, which is sort of the boring part, I think. Right. I want to see the the original outbreak and all that awesomeness and how the world falls and what happens to London. And then the actual, you know, end of days kind of thing, which would be cool. I feel like this is the, this is the middle section that, that didn't do much for me. Right. So they, they jumped over the interesting part and hadn't quite gotten to the other interesting part. (laughs) That's exactly it. They yada yada (laughs) the interesting parts and showed us the story that we, that we didn't need as much, the transitional story. I don't know. Um, so maybe maybe needed a trilogy, but uh, anyways, I I didn't I didn't love it. I'm not going to say it's terrible. And if you're a big Pride and Prejudice fan, maybe you'll like this a little bit more. I maybe. don't know. 
But or and, or if you're Jason, you'll like this a little bit more. Well, I think I like. I don't think it was a great movie. Like mm-hmm. it's not something I'm going to write to my mother about and say, "Hey, mom, you really need to watch this." No, <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> we do talk about TV and we compare notes and stuff, and she likes generally the same kind of thing I do. So if she says, you know, she asks me what I'm watching on Netflix, and I'll tell her, and she's like, "Oh, I'll ch- okay, I'll check that out." Sure. And I do the same thing. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, but, so I didn't think it was a fantastic movie, but there were aspects to it that I liked. And it did, there was, uh, you know, the period piece kind of thing does speak to me as well. I, I like that kind of thing. Sure. And I'm surprised that I hadn't watched this Pride and Prejudice. Uh, you know, I've watched Little Women. I've seen uh, the one with Kate Winslet and, again, Colin Firth. He seems to be in everything. Uh, period PC. Uh, what was that called? No, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. My wife would know what yeah, I was talking about. Of course. <laughs> well, um, maybe you should try watching Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. That's the other. Oh, my God. There's there's another mashup I, book based. I, yeah, like, I tried. I couldn't get through that. Really? It has really? Dominic Cooper, the guy, no, the guy from uh, um, Preacher. Yeah. And it's uh, made maybe... by an actually an established director. <laughs> Maybe, uh, well, because Abraham Lincoln doesn't really have a romantic story. Sure. Just on his own. Like, he's a real person, or yep. was a real person, and did some uh, great and amazing things, but yep. there's no romantic story there. And I don't like vampires as much as I like zombies. <laughs> That's true. There's one about sea monsters, sea monsters too, I think, but I can't think of what the mashup is. Anyways. Well, there's got to be lots. I mean, Pride and Prejudice is in the public domain now, which is why you can get away with this shit. Right. Uh, so that you could write Pride and Prejudice and Sea Monsters or Pride and Prejudice and Aliens. It's, that kind of shit I would like to see. So more mashups for Jason. Cool. Of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, all right. <laughs> just use that <laughs> I one. I just, just, you know, do a trilogy of Pride and Prejudice and movies. Okay. Right? Pride and Prejudice and uh, buddy cop movies. Perfect. You know, kind of put, put a buddy cop movie in the middle of it. Okay. You can go for that. So the other thing I wanted to mention about this is that the movie had a, a slightly rocky sort of development process. Originally, Natalie Portman was cast as Elizabeth Bennett. She's a big name. That makes sense to me. And David O. Russell. He's the director who did American Hustle, Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter, Three Kings, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He was originally announced as writer-director, but then left apparently over disagreement with somebody, studio or something like that. This is bullshit. I'm taking my story and going home. I don't know. I guess so. And then Natalie Portman ultimately dropped out of the the lead role but she stayed on to produce and i just can't help but think that i think this movie might have been a lot better if both of them were involved especially david o russell as writer director because he's he seems to know what he's doing with some of his films yeah it could have been it could have been a lot better i think in in a lot of ways yeah the director was a guy named burr steers and he's done a single episode of weeds big love the l word and then a couple of Zac Efron movies. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so. Well, now he's it. got this one to put under his belt. Yes, he does. Like, how much did it lose? Okay, uh, you have a nice day now, okay? A lot, yeah. <laughs> I think it's because his first movie was one called Igby Goes Down, which I haven't seen, but it received a bunch of praise from critics. So I think he came out of the gate fast, and uh, and so he got some notoriety for that. And then, you know, who knows what this is going to do to his career. Well, they said the same thing about Neil Bloomkamp, right? Right. Uh, when he won, they wanted to make a Halo movie, there's like, wow, this guy can't do anything. What, he's, what has he done? A car commercial and something else? And they dropped the whole movie and he ended up making District 9? Right. 
which uh, which ties into our next movie, uh, actor wise. Uh huh. So and then and then eventually he made uh, I think he made Elysium, didn't he? Did he? I think Neil so. Neil Bloomkamp, look him up. I think he with. Uh, I can't Matt spell Damon. his last name, so I can't look him up. <laughs> yeah, look up Elysium and see. <laughs> Which is basically Halo, in my opinion. He's like, you know, you're not going to let me do Halo. Fuck you! I'm doing my own Halo movie, and I'm going to call it Elysium. Yeah, yeah. There you and go. He totally did it. It wasn't a great movie, also, but I, I did kind of like it. Yeah. Which also had the uh, what's his name in it that uh, was in Hardcore Henry. Charlton Copley. But dude, he he also I don't want to go too far, but he also did Chappie, which is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Okay, well you know after that was after uh, Elysium though, right? Uh, yeah, it was. Well, you know you know the people have a curve, and every once in a while, you know they try things creatively, and sometimes it doesn't work, and they take that feedback, and then they'll move into you know something else. Yes, Chappie was a giant piece of shit. Oh my okay, we're god! Just gonna, we're just going to put that aside. Yeah. We're going to acknowledge it and then put it aside. <laughs> yes, I, I saw that in the theater, and I I walked, came out, going, "What have I just seen?" Oh no, it's just that I'm okay. So from a technological point of view, it was okay. Like Chappie looked pretty good. That whole motion capture thing. Oh, fine, uh, that's fine. But fine. Was... But the, the premise of okay, now I'm going to put it aside because I'm just going to get angry. <sighs> All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> One last comment about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I, I thought the score was pretty good. They did an original score for it, and I noticed it during the movie, and I went and I listened to a little bit on iTunes, and it's nice. It's good. It's it's a it's a good score. So for me, I thought Matt Smith was great. The score was okay, but I found the movie kind of boring and inconsequential. And for you, interesting take on the zombies, good period piece, and uh, you could see more of this stuff. I could see more of this. Yeah, Pride and Prejudice and Aliens would be perfect. Somebody write that and then make it. And then do it. All right. Yeah. Maybe Neil Bloomkamp. Maybe. Pride and Prejudice and Aliens. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Pride and Prejudice and Halo. Now you're talking. His uh, His next IMDb credit is Untitled Neil Blomkamp slash Alien Project. Sweet. So maybe he's on, maybe he's doing it. That's it. <laughs> All right. I'm, uh, I'm going to write him a letter. If you watched Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and have any thoughts, send your uh, feedback into TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear it. Uh, we Just before we get to our Hardcore Henry review, uh, we're going to take a quick break. But I also want to do something we haven't done in a little bit. Thank you, patrons. So if you don't know, we, we do use Patreon, and you can find us at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. And um, some recent patrons that I just wanted to, to call out and say a big thank you to are Avellino Roschino, or Roschino, Peter Houghton, Bobby Yakuzo, Hardboiled Greg, Pamela Gonzalez, and Jeff Davis, uh, all for becoming patrons at $3 or more per month. Thank you so much to you guys, and thanks to everyone who who uh, visits us on Patreon. Um, If you want to find out more about Patreon, you can visit, as I said, uh, patreon.com slash the talking dead. You can make a small monthly pledge. All the money just goes into the equipment and the hosting and the software we use to to record this podcast. Um, And uh, we really, really appreciate everybody's support. So thanks to all you, you patrons and thanks to everyone that supports the show. 
All right. We are back and it's time to review Hardcore Henry. So the reason we're going to talk about this movie is that it came up in conversation at some point um, back, I don't know, was it over the summer or was it during the first half of uh, season two of Fear? I'm not I sure. No idea. It wasn't that long ago and it wasn't uh, immediately last week. Right. So it wasn't, it was sometime earlier this year. I think we, we were wondering if, if, you know, they'd ever done a truly first person perspective movie and some people wrote in about hardcore Henry. And uh, I feel like at the time we probably dismissed it as kind of a dumb idea. So I thought it only fair that we, that we watch the movie and find out if it in fact was a dumb idea or not. And I guess I'll go first. It turns out not really a dumb idea at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, maybe the idea is dumb, but the movie is good, in my well, opinion. Well, I don't know if I would go good. I think I might be on the other side of the fence just slightly, though. I think it was uh, was okay, but it got a little much after a while. See, I didn't have that experience. I thought if they if this became a thing in movie making and they started doing lots of movies like this, I think it would become a little much, but one film with this style worked pretty well for me. So the basic idea here is that Henry wakes up on a bed, can't speak, doesn't know who he is. And he's getting his arm and his leg reattached. And turns out he's basically a cyborg. And as soon as he sort of gets up out of the room, the shit hits the fan and doesn't really stop hitting the fan until the end of the film. And he has to go on this wild chase across Moscow looking, you know, trying to, trying to do some stuff, trying to get away from bad guys. And the whole movie is shot out of his eyeballs. So from a first person perspective, and I surprisingly a little bit to myself found it really fun to watch. And I thought it was funny, exciting, intense, and pretty gory especially towards the end. It was pretty gory. It was. I mean, they didn't shy away from, you know, from showing him like <laughs> tearing people's heads off and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, and, but at the same time, even though the first person was really intense, I didn't find it overwhelming or kind of dumb. Like I, like I thought it might. So I like this movie quite a bit and I hope it's not just because I went in with low expectations, but I think it, it worked for me. I went in uh, with low expectations as well. I wasn't thinking that this would be a. Uh, I wouldn't. I wasn't taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did find it kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But it uh, after a while, it uh, maybe after the second half of the movie was it got a little much for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Charlotte Copley. Is that how you say his name? Charlotte. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he was great. He I was, like him in, in everything, but he was, you know, he played multiple characters in this, uh, in this movie and I really liked him. And if he hadn't been there as the, uh, uh plot device yeah. to move the thing along throughout the whole movie, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been good at all in my opinion. So luckily he was in this movie and the first person thing kind of got, it was kind of entertaining in points, but, uh, at the end, that last, uh, that last big scene, mm -hmm. uh, it just, it was, it was overwhelming for me. I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. I, I, I didn't think it was a good climax. Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I think, I think it was just enough, but not too much like, or, or they just got to the point where had they continued, maybe it would have for me, but I think the, the climax at the end was great. I thought it was really, really well done. It's a, it's a big fight against multiple guys on top of a building, which is cool. 
And uh, you're right. Charlton Copley was fantastic. He plays Jimmy. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, and and it didn't get boring for me because I think they they included enough variety of stuff from the first person. Like at one point he's climbing up the outside of a building, kind of Assassin's Creed type style. And that was cool. And there's tons of course, running and jumping and falling and stuff exploding. And I thought that was all good. There's some really amazing fights. Uh, you know, there's great chases on foot in cars. They're in the city for a while. They're in like forest and nature for a while. And it, I thought they varied up the locations enough. I mean, this could have gotten really samey if he was always, in the city, you know, hanging on the roof of a car or climbing a building or something like that. But they didn't right. repeat themselves, which I thought was good. Um, and and it was uh, it, it, it worked for me. Not only that, but I thought it was I thought it was funny. There was a couple good gags like at the near the beginning when they're deciding what voice to give him before yep. uh, <laughs> before, you know, something happens and they get interrupted. <laughs> and then there is a hilarious horse gag in this movie that was funny that was amazing <laughs> and i i don't really want to give it away but there's a joke involving a horse that is awesome it's a visual joke too it's not like someone sits down and says a horse walks into a bar and the bartender says hey why the long face that's right it's a funny joke too but it's uh, a good joke but it's a visual horse gag and i thought that was amazing so funny uh you know wildly entertaining in my opinion i was i was really impressed with this movie Okay, me not so much, but I did I did enjoy it in parts and uh, did like aspects, but I don't think I was as uh, fully on board with it as you are. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, too, is I felt like what we saw felt kind of real, like kind of – I know you're not aware of your own arms and legs like in front of you as you're walking around, right? <laughs> if, you re if you reach out for something, you what? know. That's how I walk around. If I've got something <laughs> in my hand, I hold it up in front of me so that I can see it as I'm walking around. No, I know. But I just mean like when you're standing in the coffee shop and they bring you or they put your coffee on the counter and then you reach to pick it up, you're not really aware of your arm going out in front of you. I mean – it's there. You can see it, but you don't think, Hey, there's my arm. If you did, no one would ever get, ever get anything done because you'd always be thinking about your limbs. Well, um, think of it this way. You always see your nose. No matter what you're doing, you can see your nose, but your brain you, cancels it out. Your brain just gets rid of it. It's like, I don't need to know about that. That thing is always there. <laughs> I'm just going to forget about it. Right. So your brain is good at doing that. In this movie, you pretty much always see his arms and his legs and stuff like that. But I didn't find it weird. Like, I thought that was one of the things I'd be like, well, I don't want to see the arms all the time because that's not how real life is. But it was OK. I, I thought that like in the movie when when Henry jumps off a wall and he lands on the ground and, you know, you see him looking at the ground and you see his hands hit the ground and braces fall and stuff. It's not like you see him looking straight out at whatever, whoever he was chasing or something like that. It felt real. Like if I fell off a wall, I'm pretty sure I would, I would see the ground coming. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I've fallen off walls. Right. You, yeah. Some, you don't really, you aren't really aware of what's going on until you, all of a sudden you're lying on the ground and you're looking at gravel. And that's right. And you got it in your nose. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I felt like that was done pretty well and it didn't, didn't bother me. Um, of course, of course, in a movie like this, they had to have a strip club scene. Well, yeah, first person. First I mean, person. What what first person hasn't been to a strip club? <laughs> <laughs> I know plenty of first people who have been to strip clubs. Yes. <laughs> um, 
And then I guess one other thing I wanted to to mention is that there was what I originally classified as a supernatural element to this movie. There was, yeah. Be, well, because one character is telekinetic. And but then I started thinking like like at first my thought was what? Why is there telekinesis in a movie like this? But then I realized that Henry is basically a cyborg and you see his limbs being attached and his skin being regrown on at the beginning of the movie and I'm like, "Eh, He's a cyborg. That guy's telekinetic. I'm okay with it. Yeah. And then there's Jimmy, right? Uh, right. Which is a whole other thing. Yeah, that's well, a whole other thing. Yeah. But but you can explain Jimmy through technology. You can explain Henry through I don't technology. Know. Come on. You yes, can't you can. really explain Jimmy through technology. That's just, that's a bit weird. Well, it's, it is. You got to watch the movie to, to understand it, I think. But I think you can. You can explain Jimmy with technology. You can explain Henry with technology. Telekinesis. Not as much, but I'm. I explain that with technology. Look at tractor tractor beams. I'm going to. If you can have tractor beams in Star Wars and Star Trek, you can have this dude having tractor beams coming out of his fingertips. See, there you go. I'm going to go with somehow there was a technology invented that allowed this guy to be telekinetic. And at one point, the guy uses one of the strippers in the strip club as a projectile. Oh yeah, <laughs> which I know may be somewhat inappropriate, but I thought was funny. That's uh you, are you aware of the uh, the role playing game called Champions? I've heard of it. Yes. All right. So there's a game called Champions. It basically started out as you could be a superhero. And right. you have a certain number of points that you can spend on powers. And uh basically uh, you can have uh, super strength, you can have uh, telekinesis, you can have 360 degree vision. Sure. There's all kinds of things. And if you spend an, uh, you can spend points on uh, the power and you can spend points on aspects to the power. And one of my favorite things about champions is that whatever power you buy, by spending another X amount of points, maybe 10 points, you can do whatever that power is at range. Mm-hmm. So that means that uh, if you have super strength, that costs 20 points. But if you spend another 10 points, you have super strength at range, which means you can pick up stuff telekinetically. Or if one of the powers I got was, uh, it was Mole Man was, uh, was the character that I made. <laughs> and I bought a, uh, a very high level in digging, and then I bought it at range, sure. which meant I could dig a hole under you from over here. That's pretty good. And then it, it, the, the digging was so powerful that I could dig through dirt and it would fill in the hole behind me exactly as it was before I got there. So I could dig through the dirt and yet nobody would ever know that I was there. So I would dig holes under people and then fill it all in and they'd be buried alive. That's horrible and awesome all at the same time. Exactly. So this guy just had strength at range. Sure. He just I, spent an extra ten points. I get it, man, and I'm 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 okay with it. I I am totally fine with it. So I thought Hardcore Henry was pretty good. I, this movie screened at last year's Toronto International Film Festival, I believe, and uh, then there was a bidding war to pick it up because reaction to it was pretty positive. Cool. So uh, well done. Um, one bit of trivia I read about this thing: Do you remember the scene? He's chasing a guy, and they go down an escalator. And Henry is sliding down the center of the escalator and he catches up with the dude and a woman gets knocked down like pretty violently as he slides down. Apparently that was, apparently that was an accident. She was an extra who missed her mark and was in the wrong place. And they took her out as they, as he slid down totally accidentally. And I noticed it immediately when I was watching the movie. And then when I went and read some trivia about it, 
I, I discovered this and thought, man, it really doesn't look planned. But apparently she jumped back up and said, so did you get the shot? And so they decided <laughs> to leave it in because awesome. she was not hurt badly. But she she goes down on that escalator pretty hard. The, the escalators are pointy. Oh, they're pointy they're and made of very metal. Very hurdy. Yeah. Fall, I wouldn't want to fall down on an escalator. I feel weird about wearing sandals on an escalator. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't want your little toes to get stuck in there anymore. My little no. tootsies are very sensitive. Very sensitive. So I'm glad she was okay, but I thought that was an interesting bit of trivia. And dude, one more thing. Another great use of Don't Stop Me Now by Queen since Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. You know, come the on. Mu- I enjoyed the music. There were some good tunes in this. Another good soundtrack, good actually. But, yeah, it was good. <laughs> so if you like Queen and you like first-person action movies. I might watch this again because I showed the trailer to uh, to Jenny and she said, oh, I might check that out. So if she wants to watch it at some point, I'll watch it again. It might be a little violent for her sensibilities, but you never know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. You should watch Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and this with her. Make it a doubleheader one night. I think she'll probably want to watch Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. All right, cool. So there you go. Hardcore Henry. I thought it was pretty awesome. Uh, let us know what you thought, of course. TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. All right, uh, Jason, we're just going to do a little bit of listener feedback before we wrap things up here. Cool, cool. Listener feedback. So, um, there's just a bit of a all over the place bit of feedback here. First, in general, I just wanted to address something that people have been emailing us about, and that is doing a podcast either about Preacher, because we did talk about the first episode of Preacher, or Outcast, Robert Kirkman's new show, because of course it's Kirkman, Walking Dead related ish. <laughs> Same guy, anyways. <laughs> um, and I do. I just wanted to let everyone know that I do like the idea of that, maybe doing sort of a full season, you know, wrap up of the first season of one or both of those shows. But the problem is just timing right now. We have fear coming back next week. We have your baby coming anytime. And as soon as fear wraps up, we've got season seven to deal with starting in October. So I'm thinking, Jason, maybe we look at talking about one of those shows during the hiatus over the holidays? I would think so, yeah. That's probably, unfortunately, the soonest we could get to it. And to me, have you watched any more of Preacher at this point? No, I no. have not. Okay, so I'm like five, six episodes into Preacher. I've still only seen the first episode of Outcast. Have you watched any more of that? I have not. All right, so I'm thinking maybe Outcast during the during the hiatus because we can wait. We can watch it then. It'll be fresh. And it's a Kirkman show, so we can see what else he's doing. Cool. So, I like it. Yeah, so that's that's I think the tentative plan. Pencil that in right now, and uh, you know we'll we'll try to make that happen. All right, we're going to start here with a quick call from Jordan in Vancouver. Uh, his call was longer than three minutes, which is the maximum runtime, so it did get cut off. Uh, and I also cut it down just for for time here. So sorry about that, Jordan. But here's what he had to say. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is Jordan from Vancouver, and so obviously the Season 7 trailer just came out, and I thought I'd give some of my thoughts on it. Uh, and one thing I noticed in the trailer was that, well, I've, I think everyone noticed this, but, like, you know, Rick wasn't in most of the trailer. And uh, this is pretty obvious, because they didn't, like, why they did this, because they didn't really want to show anyone who was in the lineup in the trailer. But, you know, it was it was basically confirmed that Negan didn't kill Rick, just by what everyone thought, and it's really sort of the line that Negan says, everyone sort of knows it. He didn't kill Rick. So uh, I don't know. I think 
that like normally they probably would have shown at least a shot of Rick doing something in season seven. At least we know where he's going. But you know, maybe because they didn't show him, I'm starting to think that maybe something is going to happen with Rick this season that like is very unexpected. Something completely different direction than we thought. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I don't really think that Negan killed him, but uh, something very unexpected might be happening with Rick. So uh, we'll see. So. Rick, Jason, everyone pretty like it's as Jordan was saying, everyone pretty much knows that Rick is not going to be killed by Negan. No. And so why not? And I think he makes a good point. Why not just acknowledge the fact that there's one guy who's who's pretty safe in that lineup. So show him in the trailer. Or do they really think that they can't show anybody doing anything from that lineup because they're all potentially dead? I think it was a, uh, you know, the people that make the trailers are not the same people that are editing the show. Like there's right. they're different editors, different groups of people. So they get the footage and then they get directives on what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. I think that whoever created this trailer got all the footage that uh, he needed or she needed to make the trailer and got a directive. Don't show any of these people in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Because they were at the scene of Negan beating the crap out of somebody. So, you know, because they got that directive, because they got that footage, that's what we got. It, right. it, I don't think it's any bigger meaning than that. I don't think it had any more uh, in-depth decision-making than that. I think it was just, here's the footage. Don't share, Don't use any of the footage. If there happens to be a shot with somebody, one of these people in it, don't use it. Right. I think you're probably right. Um they 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 put them in the montage, and then after that, AMC doesn't want to give any potential hints at anything regarding that yeah. cliffhanger. So uh, I think you're probably right there. In terms of could Rick ever be sort of a, a, a have a diminished role on this show, I do think that's a possibility. I'm not sure we're at that point yet, but if this show continues into season, you know, eight, nine, ten, who knows? I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't even be sort of closed minded to the idea of Rick not really being the central protagonist anymore, you know, move, move away. I mean, I'm not saying kill him off, but maybe something happens. Maybe he's not the focus for a while or for good. And I, I think I'd be okay with that. That's a, that's a tough thing to do though. I Super mean, tough. shows have tried to do that. Like they're not really spinoffs, but they just kind of change focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to give you an example. Please do. Uh, there is a show called, uh, there was a show called The Closer, which I really liked, which is a police uh, procedural. Oh, I forget her name. Uh, she's married to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, whoever Kevin, you've looked that up while I'm uh, babbling here. Sure. So uh, she is the uh, the head of major crimes in Los Angeles, and they investigate, uh, you know, very high profile crimes. Uh, it also, uh, you know, has a has a very big ensemble cast. So they did seven seasons of this show. It was a great show. I loved watching it. Uh, me and my wife both loved watching it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, they changed focus. They took, um, uh, what, did you find out her name? Kira Sedgwick. Kira Sedgwick left the show. Right. And they brought in a character. There was another character that they brought in, which was, uh, she was in Battlestar Galactica, the president. Um, oh, Yeah. Um, uh, they brought her in like a season or two beforehand as part of this ensemble cast. Uh, so she was a major character. It's not like they just brought her in and swapped out Kira Sedgwick. She was in the show for a while, but then Kira Sedgwick left the show and she took over as the the, the lead 
of uh, the investigation unit. Same uh, ensemble cast, just with her at the head instead of uh, Kara Sedgwick. And the show changed its name to Major Crimes. Oh, really? So Yeah, so the show kind of shifted focus, uh, but kept the same the same ensemble cast and had the same kind of premise where it was just still major crimes in Los Angeles being investigated. We watched all of the closer and loved it. We got halfway through the first season and went, this is crap of major crimes of major crimes and, and forgot about it. Hmm. So that's a very tough thing to do, to do that. uh, Law and order did it very well. Same premise characters rolled over, over time by the end of it, still a good show, a friggin' tentpole show, uh, of I think it was NBC, and they canceled it for some ungodly reason. I have no idea why. It should still be going on 30 years after it had started, completely <laughs> new cast, uh, but it was still a good show. Same premise, same deal, same everything, just new cast. They did it right. Interesting. But, uh, the Closer, Major Crimes, didn't quite pull it off. So it's it, it, it's possible to do that, to roll over the big characters and have the same show move on, but it's tough to do. Yeah, tough and to do. A, Big gamble. I, I don't think it would be impossible, though, on The Walking Dead. I mean, there are so there are already major characters, lots of main characters that are great. And sure, Rick is a great character, but at some point, his arc is going to be done or it's it's going to be and he doesn't have to be dead. I, I the pessimist in me thinks at some point Rick is going to become boring. I mean, he, he waffles back and forth between Farmer Rick, Sane Rick and Crazy Rick. And you can't have that be going exactly the same over and over again. So I think he's going to be a big part of season seven in terms of what happens with Negan and stuff like that. But after that, who knows? All bets are off, I would say, and you never know. And I think the show could survive without Rick being the focus and whether it's one of the other characters kind of stepping into that role or somebody we don't know yet stepping into that role. I don't know. There's nobody on the show that can do that yet. You don't think so, eh? I don't think I can't think of anybody that could take over the show as the the leader. It's and, it's because you're so used to Rick, though. I mean, well, let's let's look at it. Let's uh, who who Abraham? You think it'd become the Abraham show? No, can't see that. Can't see that. What about Glenn? Glenn's a popular favorite. Glenn and Maggie. I I, I could almost see that. I could almost see that. I could almost see that. They're too good. They're too, it's too, uh, they're too cut and dried as uh, their characters. Rick is so complex and layered mm. uh, that he can pull it off. I don't think we have anybody else the Daryl like show? that. Well, you can't, you can't, if Rick leaves the show, so is Daryl. Like you can't have one <laughs> without the other. Uh, I could see that a little bit, yeah. And Michonne, the three of them. I don't, I don't think you could have any show that involves uh if one of them leaves, I think they all leave. I don't know, man. I, Michonne actually is one that I could almost see them see working. Michonne's a fascinating character, and there's lots there's lots there. I think she could step into the role, maybe. Maybe. that's That might be the only one that comes to mind. It's certainly not Eugene. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'd watch a show with Eugene. Eugene spinoff, sure. I don't <laughs> think he's the lead in this show, though. Oh, man, Eugene spinoff where he goes off and starts uh, solving crimes. He becomes a private detective. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> um, And, yeah, who else is there? I don't know. Uh, you're right. You're right. I don't know if we know the character yet. I think maybe Michonne could be the one. Jesus? Like we talked about this before, we get Jesus and Tara on their own show. That's that right. Could, that could work. Yeah. Jesus, uh, yeah. Jesus could take over this show. Come on. He's amazing. He's a great character. 
He grew he even grew his own real beard. He did. So he's <laughs> going to be around for a while. In like Flynn. All right. Uh, let's move on. Mark from Fort Worth, Texas writes in about um, the relationship between Ezekiel and the tiger. Uh, I think maybe you were questioning about how, you know, how can there be a tiger? Because at some point that tiger is going to eat you (laughs) or going to try to take a bite out of you. Well, Mark writes, the relationship there is Ezekiel used to be a zookeeper and worked in the tiger's den. Shiva and Ezekiel have been together since Shiva was born and Ezekiel raised her for her entire life. Then that makes sense. Then it's okay. Then it's okay because uh, a big cat like that will imprint on one, maybe two people, but uh, you have to have raised it since it was a baby. All right. So that's as long as that's the story and that does come from the comic. So uh, that's the story and we're sticking to it. Yeah. I mean, it happens with bears too, right? I mean, I've seen, you go on YouTube, you see all kinds of things with people and bears, like the bear running up behind this guy and then you think it's going to kill him and all of a sudden it just gives him a great big hug and then they wrestle around a little bit. <laughs> oh, that sounds adorable. It is adorable. And then the bear sits in a chair, which is weird, but it happens. But also adorable. <laughs> but also adorable. <laughs> I'm just I'm just wondering though, even if this tiger has imprinted on you as its friend, master, parent, whatever, if food is scarce, will the tiger not eventually eat you? Well, you have to feed it. Right. Like your entire life is about feeding this animal because if you don't feed it the animal's going to eat you right regardless of if, if it thinks yeah. you're your it's your your it's dad or not it is not tame right it is just uh oh sorry it is not domesticated it is just tame got it okay because if if uh if you live in a house with uh 15 cats and you die the cats will eat you if you live in a house with 15 dogs and you die there's a good chance the dog's not going to eat you yeah Maybe the dog will just start barking until someone gets annoyed enough to break down your door and say, what's going on? Yeah. People are going <laughs> to dispute that. I mean, that there's lots of stories of dogs eating dead people, their dead owners. Right. They're more like little dogs, like Chihuahuas and Yorkies and things like that. Those, Those stupid little dogs. little dogs, right? <laughs> chihuahuas are cute though. No way. You're crazy. Oh, I have a friend who has chihuahuas. a Chihuahua Crackers. You remember Crackers? Uh, Jackie's dog? I, I kind of vaguely... Jackie had this dog, Crackers. He was the cutest. I didn't like Chihuahuas until I met Crackers. He was well, so cute. I don't like Chihuahuas. Um, Josh. I have a picture with you at Crackers, I think. I really? Dig that, up. Yeah. Find, dig that up. We'll post it on the internet. Chris with a Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah. A dog he hated. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look. Uh, Josh in Hillsboro, North Carolina writes, you guys were talking about where the line is for what is too brutal for TV, specifically regarding Negan beating someone to death with Lucille. Well, we have already seen that level of brutality on The Walking Dead. To be more specific, it was on Fear, The Walking Dead. Remember when Chris found that passenger still alive in the fuselage of Flight 462? As I'm sure we all remember, the budding psychopath bludgeoned the poor guy in the head with a piece of the plane. I know it's unlikely, but what if they wanted to test out such brutality on an unknown character on a show with a much smaller viewership before killing off one of our beloved core cast? If audiences and critics raved against the violence then they can adjust the filming of the Negan scene. But if the outcry was minimal or non-existent, then they go whole hog and give the most vicious send-off to a main character we've had. So Josh has a point. I remember distinctly saying that that scene was the most brutal thing I had seen on either Walking Dead show. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, a guy beat a living person to death with a blunt object. 
And that's exactly what we got here with Negan about to happen. You know, someone's going to get beat to death with a baseball bat. So they kind of, Josh is right. They kind of already have done this. Um, I think, as he said, it's probably unlikely that they do these sorts of things to test the waters. But if they're going to do it on one show, what's going to stop them from doing it on the main show? That's true. You know, I still have a hard time uh, buying into it, but I guess, you know, uh, all will become revealed in the fullness of time. Yeah. And in the fullness of time, you mean like a few months? (laughs) Yeah. A few months from now. Yeah. So it's a good point. It's a good point, Josh. Thanks for pointing that out because that scene on Fear the Walking Dead is still the most brutal thing I think I've seen on either show. And, uh, you know, maybe they're just not afraid to do anything except kill a baby. Um, because yeah. they can't do that. You can't kill a baby. No, can't kill a baby until you can show a dead baby, but you can't kill a baby until one day that they kill a baby, Jason. And then we're going to be sitting here eating our hats. And yeah, I will, uh, I, well, I'll bake a, a, a bread hat and then eat it. Perfect. <laughs> we'll post that on YouTube. That'll be great. Jason yeah. eating a bread hat. That's right. With a picture of me with a chihuahua beside it. Uh, a few more. Jeremy on the internet writes, I just started, I just started, I recently, <laughs> I think I'm writing that down. That's a good word. I recently de-started. That means you didn't start, right? Or you unstart something? I don't know. Okay. You, you, not really. It's like disattend something. It's it's like you, you, you started it, but not really. Okay. <laughs> well, anyways, that's not what Jeremy wrote. He wrote, I recently decided to start listening to Walking Dead podcasts, and I stumbled upon yours after listening to a couple of others. Thank you for the positive outlook on the shows. I'm not sure he was listening to uh, us this last season, but that's besides the point. I have never read comics before, but started reading the Walking Dead comics, and I'm really enjoying them a lot. I've also started collecting the figures and a building set or two. My question to you is, what, if any, Walking Dead collectibles do you guys have or want, and what would you like to see made? So... I just thought this was a fun general question uh, that I can answer because I have a fair number of Walking Dead collectibles around my house right now. You have more than I do. I have some figures yeah. that I took out of the packages, yeah. like a chump. <laughs> That's right. I'm never going to be able to sell those now. <laughs> no, I don't even have them on display, so what the hell is the point? Right. Uh, and I have a couple of pictures, framed pictures, and that's about it. Framed pictures. What What do you have? Well, I at the... The Walker Stalker Con, I got some photos signed. Oh, okay, right. And I framed those. Cool, yeah. We've got, we both got the Andy Lincoln headshot signed. That was fun. We got our picture taken together with uh, Lou Temple. Yep. Oh, yeah, Lou Temple. That was good. Great photo. I love that photo. Um, Yeah, but I I have more stuff. So, well, you own a lot of the comics and trade paperbacks and stuff, right? Yeah. So I have all that stuff. I have all the hardcovers. I have every issue of the comic starting around 50-something, number 50-something. So that's about 100 issues. Um, I don't have stuff before that. Uh, I've got a bunch of action figures, too. I have the original um, McFarlane action figures still in the box. We got those when they first came out. I forget if I picked – I think I picked them up at – New York Comic Con when we went down there, or maybe the year I went on my own. I don't know. Um, and I've got Lu- uh, Lucille replica, the exclusive from San Diego Comic Con from a couple of years ago. Um, and I've got various other little odds and ends too, uh, uh, and some pictures. Like you said, I have my photo taken with Norman Reedus and uh, Herschel 
um, Scott Wilson and Beth, Emily Kinney. And uh, so I've, I've got a, a decent collection going. Certainly not enormous compared to some people out there, but I've got some stuff. And frankly, some of this stuff, I actually don't even consider it a collectible of my own. Occasionally, I pick something up to give away to a listener. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You've got a bunch of stuff that's in the uh, in the vault. Yeah. We, we've got a Talking Dead podcast prize vault that uh, anytime we need to give something away, we, we do. So, um so who knows when that uh, might be opened again, the vault. You know, that reminds me, somebody else wrote in, oh, in fact, that's my next email here. Jordan on the internet writes, just wanted to ask if you were going to do another record your favorite scene contest in the near future. You really should. And I'll tell you, Jason, the record your favorite scene contest was by far the favorite, my favorite contest that we ever did. Um, the short story one was great too. Uh, but in, because this is a podcast, it's audio, you know, I think the recording your favorite scene was fantastic. And in case there's any new listeners out there, uh, who don't know what we did is we asked you guys to pick a scene from any episode of the walking dead, record yourself like on your phone or whatever, just delivering the lines, doing the scene and interpretation of the scene or whatever, and then send it in and, and we'd, we'd choose our favorite one. And it was always super fun to hear them and listen to people's interpretations and then, and then pick a winner. So what do you think? Should we do it again? Damn right. We should. I think you may be right. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Jordan. Let's, uh, let's think about launching that for season seven. We didn't do it for season six. We did it for four and five. Um, so let's, let's bring that back for season seven. I think it was super fun and I get the feeling, you know, people had fun with it too, because we got some amazing entries. True. So, um, good. We will do that. One last email here from Kelly in the Ottawa Valley. Kelly writes, thank you again for your great fear, the walking dead coverage and your off, uh, your other off season offerings. I imagine you may sometimes feel discouraged when podcast awards don't materialize for you, <laughs> but you've got a fan here who votes for you every time. Recently, I was hospitalized for an extended stint and your great humor helped me through some really long days. I especially enjoyed your annual preseason uh, annual season recap with the walking dead cast. Oh, awesome. So that is super awesome. And first, I just want to say, Kelly, I'm, I, I hope you're out of the hospital now. It sounds like it and you're in, uh, in good health. That's great to hear. And uh, it's, it's great to hear that, you know, we were there helping you get through it. So it makes me, it warms my heart a little bit. It does warm my heart too. Right. Thank you. Um, and speaking of the Walking Dead cast, that is always fun to record with those guys. We'll be doing that again next year, I'm sure, after season seven. And uh, I was in California recently and hung out with Jason from the Walking Dead cast, whom I've met many times and we've become friends. But it was fun to just hang out in his uh, hometown and get the families together. And, and uh, we, we took a day trip up to Napa and Sonoma. Sonoma? Yeah, up that up that way from from where he lives and it was it was really nice. So uh those are good people over there. And if anyone doesn't listen to the Walking Dead cast, you should. Yes. Us absolutely. and them, two best Walking Dead podcasts on the internet. Us and them and them and us. That's right. Uh all right. So thanks everyone for writing in and calling in. Hope you had fun listening to this episode and enjoyed it. We, you know, did a couple movies that aren't really Walking Dead related, but uh, sometimes we like to do that. It's fun to do. And next week is when fear returns. I don't know. I don't know, everyone. Things are all up in the air at this point. We are going to do our best to get a podcast out. I think worst case, um, 
we'll have just Jason won't be on it because he'll be busy having a baby and I'll have a, a fill in host for a week or two or however long it takes to have a baby. Rent, uh, rent a marionette or something. <laughs> Cause that's great for an audio only podcast. A marionette. I'll get a ventriloquist dummy and I'll do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chris. I think that's a great idea. A ventriloquist dummy, Jason, a Jason dummy. See, it won't easily e- replaced. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, chances are, if you're not available, I'm going to have my wife on. We'll see how that goes. I hope well, and I think well. Good. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but I, I'm just saying, if you can, you know, if you can schedule your baby to be born like late, not even late, like let's say early next Tuesday morning, that means we can do the podcast Monday evening and then your baby's born early Tuesday morning. And, you know, seven days later, you're good to go for, for uh, the next episode of, of Fear the Walking Dead, right? That makes perfect sense. Makes, I'll have a talk with the baby later on this evening. Do that. Let that baby know that that's, that's what we need to happen. So, yeah. all right. Uh, um, yeah, that's, that's going to do it. If you want to get in contact with us, you can visit talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail to record a message right into your computer that will come straight to us. Um, another good way to do that if you want is just use your smartphone if you have one. You probably have a voice memo app on there or something. Record yourself talking into your phone and then you can just email it straight to us. Share it with us that way. That's a really good way to get great quality audio too. So um, keep that in mind. If you want to do that and send the email or any email, do it to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or visit us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. I wish I had the Talking Dead on Twitter, but somebody else does. Oh, well, bastards. All right. Um, so like I said, we'll be back at some point with somebody. I'll be back and uh, we'll be talking about Fear the Walking Dead. And hopefully by then I can tell you what Jason's baby's name is. I'm, yeah, hopefully. I'm dying to know. I'm, Me too. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.